listening to audio from the table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.org. Welcome to the table. As you can see, I am not Brett. <laughs> My name is Karen Miner, and I am part of the elder leadership team here at the table. Uh, Brett is not here tonight because his grandmother recently passed away, so he is with family this weekend. So just please be praying for them and their family this coming week. Um, he will be back next week. But in the meantime, we have a treat tonight. Um, we are wrapping up our series that we've been in for several weeks called Unclean, which is based on a book by the same name, Unclean, uh, written by Christian psychologist Richard Beck. And so the messages in the series have been about uh, a main theme, which is discussed psychology, which as a refresher, uh, that's that impulse instinct within us that recoils if there's like moldy food, a rat running by, or a spider, anything that just makes you go, ew. Um, and that's, that's fine for things that are things. Um, the danger is when we start to do that with people or with people groups. Um, and so uh, in many ways, this series has been about the love of Jesus and how the love of Jesus moves toward it does not recoil from people. Um, you see that all over the scriptures uh, where Jesus did things like eat with people that the religious leaders said were unclean or who were sinners. Uh, when Jesus reaches out and touches the man with leprosy before Jesus heals him, not after. So this embrace and, and uh, leaning towards people versus keeping your distance, afraid of being you know, pulled into whatever their state is, what have you. So uh, one of the things, one of my favorite things about being part of this community is our uh, value for being communal and being inclusive. And that includes hearing from various people in our community. So we thought tonight it would be great as we wrap up the series to hear from some of the people in our community how the message struck them. What are the things that stood out? And so without further ado, because I want them to have as much time as possible to share because they've got great stuff, would you help me welcome up Jamie, Michael, Christian, and Megan? Come on up. Yes. All right. First of all, thank you so, so much for saying yes to this. This takes courage and vulnerability to be willing to be seen and share. And so just thank you for, for being willing to do this. So first off, uh, just to help everybody to get to know you, just going down the line, can you share your name, preferred pronouns, and how you got connected to the table? Um, yeah, my name's uh, Michael Alvarez. Uh, I use, uh, any pronouns are fine. I really like they, but um, I'm cool with all of them. And um, I've been going to the table for about a year now. Um, it was just a quick Google search of like LGBT affirming churches. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm, I got really lucky because I haven't had to try any other ones. So that's cool. Great, thanks. 
Hi, I'm Jamie Holloman, um, they, them. I also found the table um, via the same kind of online search um, around January. My name is Christian Gray Herring. I go by he, him. Um, I found the table, same, <laughs> internet search. Find everything on the internet. I found my wife on the internet. You know, all the same stuff. <laughs> Clearly it's working for you. Yeah. And I'm Megan, it's she, her. We've been here about two months, so very fresh to the table. Welcome. And jumping right in. All right, so first question. And the way we're gonna do this is they will chime in if a question resonates with them and they have something to share about it, so not everybody will answer every question, um, but you will definitely hear from everyone. All right, um, as we went through the series, did you find yourself mostly reflecting on how church people made you feel unclean or how you have perhaps viewed others as unclean or was it an even split? Anyone want to jump in on that one? I can. Um, yeah. So, I, like, immediately, I, like, being Michael, <laughs> so I, I, like, thought about just growing up, how that's something that's been, like, pointed at me, like, my whole life, whether it's because of, like, the color of my skin or the fact that I was more effeminate, like, within my own circles or when I did come out as queer, um, like, that whole journey. But as the series progressed, I was like, wow, maybe I am part of the problem, <laughs> too. Just because um, I started to realize that I myself had been putting these labels on other people as well. And I, like, I guess in being, like, a vic victim of, like, disgust psychology, like, I had put up these barriers that were the same weapons, like, against me, I think. Hmm. I think starting out, I probably thought mostly about how maybe I had made other people feel uncomfortable. I remember this vivid story of being in like a youth group at church and very passionate teaching about who you're around and how those other people can tarnish your, you know, your walk or your, um, your witness, that was the word, the witness that you, you have to other people. And it didn't come to... It, did, it wasn't just being around, like doing the bad things, it was being around the bad people. And so I remember this one time, and it's just, I hate that I did it, but there was one person that um, I, was, I had a really good relationship, we were talking, but my church was very pushy about this whole topic. And then I ended up basically saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't be your friend anymore because you're not a Christian. And it was just, that's how it had affected and, and made me the and and my people the group that I could only spend time with which is you know completely antithetical to the way that Jesus lived mm. kind of that fortress yeah. mentality yeah. yeah thank you yeah as the series went on I started thinking about how they're connected and how the impulse to other other groups to make other groups unclean maybe stems from the desire to or a need to make myself pure mm. right and so um, if I'm not willing to kind of look at myself and ask how I am um, viewing people as unclean, as not worthy of reaching out across divides, um, then I'm almost by necessity going to put that onto another group of people. Um, and so that, that work kind of really starts with me or else it becomes a, a vicious circle. Yeah. Good. Any other thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think... For me, 
it started off, my answer would be neither in that there, like I kind of stepped back and it was more of um, looking at how the church treats people who are unclean without considering how I fit into it. And so this question, and I think that's part of being an Enneagram mate, right? Like I'm the protector. I'm the one who's going to like save the day and protect the <laughs> unclean and all that. Um, but I think there was a definite, the series was really helpful in making me pause and do self-reflection in going, okay, I'm oftentimes very aware and wanting to protect the unclean, but seeing instances where, for example, like when it's a person who doesn't have the power or privilege, right? Like it's easy for me to want to be like, oh, we need to right this wrong and, and take care of them. Um, it's really hard though for me to then not view those who have the power and privilege and who may be using it for injustice to not put them in the unclean camp. And somehow I justify that mentally in, in being okay because it's all about solving injustice. As a, but in reality, I'm doing the very same thing. So I think this series was really good in reflecting on that. Yeah, it's good, thank you. All right, let's talk about church upbringing. Christian, you talked a little bit about, about that already. Um, were you raised in a church environment that tended to use a lot of purity metaphors when talking about the sins of people or about groups of people? And how did that play out in the church culture? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, Jesus washes our sin away and makes yeah. us white as snow. And those were like phrases that, I heard all the time growing up. And so um, I think it promoted um, very much in evangelism, right? That we're this inner group that needs to um, share this message that's going to lead others to being just as pure as we are. Um, it emphasized that salvation was by grace um, to the point of which I think it minimized any sense of self-growth. Right, because I'm already clean. Jesus already made me clean. Therefore, I don't have to do anything to or need to do any growth as in being a person. And so um, I think that the purity metaphors did a disservice in not really challenging uh, spiritual growth and formation. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think attached to that, um, I think there's an aspect of being a kid who grew up in church culture in like the 90s, there was, I think it was a book that came out that was titled like Not Even a Hint. And it, the idea was basically like, you don't want there to be any chance that anybody at all is going to think that there's anything about you that is like sinful, dirty, unclean, that sort of thing. But thinking about the verse that Brett continued to refer to in the series about Jesus hanging with tax collectors and sinners, um, Jesus had lots of hints. <laughs> like there were lots of ways in which it was like, he, by hanging out with those people, there was a hint that he was dirty and unclean, but he wasn't. So it doesn't have anything to do with the proximity, but that's what you can translate it to. Mm -hmm. I just, I think it's so funny. Like I, so I grew up in like the Church of Christ. And um, so, um, yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> um, so I think, I, I guess like as a kid, you're kind of like shielded from all like the nasty parts of like your church and your youth group and stuff. But I remember like I was super involved in like youth group and everything, um, like loved like the youth ministry. I went to like every event and everything. My family was like in there. But um, it was like, 
in middle school when um, the, I was like, I was not an athlete, but I was in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and um, my, uh, uh, what's it called? The president of our club was one of my best friends from the, from the church, Allison. And Allison went on to, uh, she was like number one ally ever. And um, I didn't even know I was like queer at the time. She probably knew, but um, <laughs> but anyways, she had um, started a, a GSA, which might have been like a little young, but you know, we're- Can you give the acronym? Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, so a Gay Straight Alliance Club, which is just kind of like, yeah, Gay Straight Alliance, um, LGBT rights, woo, uh, um, all that. Um, club, we don't, I, like now that I think about it, I'm like, what do we even do? We were in eighth grade, but, um, but you know, it was nice to see it. Um, <laughs> Anyways, um, I think the first time that I had kind of like witnessed like I guess one of the like uglier sides of my church was that like as soon as she like started that, like her, like the elders of our church like pressured her into being like, you can't be like part of like you can't be the president of FCA and be a part of the GSA like mm -hmm. that's not, and I was like, oh like wow like and at that point I didn't even know that that like applied to me yet, but that was I guess like the first time that I had like seen like purity culture that you like used against me like like did Jesus not sit with them like you know mm -hmm. like that and that was always something that kind of like felt wrong to me like it wasn't right and I always tell people like like growing up in, in that kind of environment like people like especially other queer people that like that are, that are outside of this community they always ask me like how can you be like Christian mm -hmm. well I've never felt like unloved by Jesus. I've always felt like like it was certain like Christian bodies <laughs> that had like a problem against me. You were and, able to separate that? Yeah, I was able to separate that. And I'm so glad I like I was able to, but um I always think back to so Allison's mom, the, the, their family ended up leaving the Church of Christ. Um but her mom one time, she was our youth group like uh, one of the ministers and she did this like one lesson that was kind of about like purity that that was so beautiful to me, and that was one of the, like the only things that I remember from like being a part of that church, like as far as like actual scripture or whatever. But um, or um, she did this thing where she put like two vials of like water, and she was talking about her brother. So and she was just she was like, my brother is a felon, and she put like a drop of dye in there. My brother lied to me a lot. She was like, my brother hurt my mom, like this and that, and then she put another drop in the other one that was like, but I haven't loved my brother a lot. You know, like it was just stuff like that. And she said, which one is like worse? And we were like, he's bad. <laughs> but she, the, the takeaway the lesson was that like, like none of that like matters like in the fact that like, like we are, you can't like pick and choose like whose like sin is like worse. Or anything like we are all like sinning and we're all like having to strive towards like something greater so like I don't know I just thought it was so like I that's one thing I took away from the church mm. that was like amidst all that like Church of Christ like craziness Miss uh, Lou she taught me that and it kind of like is something that I carried with me that was kind of like part of my shield is like I am not any worse than you <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know, but yeah. yeah yeah just real quickly a few like words, yeah, so well, first of all, purity metaphors were rampant in my church environment mm -hmm. growing up. And um, some words that came up for me were exclusion, um, because that's what purity laws do, right? They, they draw those boundaries. Um, and they not only give you a reason 
to exclude people, but almost a moral imperative too, because yeah. that, that impurity is gonna infect the rest of the people. So there's this like active push out of exclusion. And then also just a lot of fear. Um, it puts a lot of like emphasis on personal piety and, and it's very individualistic. Um, and so it draws your thinking away from um, community, um, kind of broader, broader picture, sorry, broader picture things, um, systemic injustice, systemic sins, um, to just like this personal level of, I need to make sure that I am white as snow um, and don't have, don't have any impurity in myself. We're gonna stick with purity culture for a minute. Um, many evangelical churches throughout the 90s and early 2000s emphasized something that has come to be known as purity culture. That is a very high value for remaining sexually pure until marriage. It seems to have negatively impacted many people. I mean, the stories I've heard and probably many of you have heard have been mostly negative. Were any of you impacted by purity culture? We've heard a little, a little bit of that. Um, how have you thought about sexuality in a way that finds a path between anything goes versus any sexual activity outside of marriage renders you dirty and impure forever? Um, I tend to think in extremes. My brain just, I, it's probably like my... OCD, like legitimate anxiety disorder, OCD stuff that tends to think in extremes. And so, um, again, being a kid that grew up in the 90s with the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book and all of that other fun stuff, um, I, it was, it was interesting because it wasn't, for me, it didn't translate just as sex outside of marriage is wrong and you shouldn't do that. It translated to attraction towards anybody is wrong, like, because that could be moving towards that bad thing. And so for me, like it created a whole bunch of shame just around even just attraction and finding that balance for, it took many years before I finally found, I think a healthy balance in that. Yeah, I almost brought my uh, purity card as like, you know, example of back in for the real? day. For real, for I real. still have it, yes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've definitely read the I Kiss Dating Goodbye, but I um, didn't drink the Kool-Aid so much that I also didn't read the lesser known title, I Gave Dating a Chance. Um, <laughs> it was the rebuttal to it that uh, obviously was still part of the purity culture, just a little nuanced. Um, but... You know, I think in some ways it was, it did have some good things for me, right? It made me think about like, what is the purpose of dating it? Um, you know, I avoided probably a lot of pain that others might have experienced. I, I don't know, but so I, but in the end, I do think it, it was really problematic, right? Whether it be leading towards judgmentalism or I, I didn't really date a whole lot and got to my late twenties and then had this oh my gosh, everybody else knows what they're doing and I don't. Um, and that, I felt really dumb. And that feeling of dumb then led to really a lot of stress. Um, thankfully, I found a really good sex therapist who was able to help me process in a freeing place um, to be able to, and she wasn't quick to be like, oh, you're just like religiously repressed and, or your chakra's off. I had that at an, another lady tell me it. Um, but instead, she was, it was a place where I could just talk and, and 
hear and be able to process um, some of the the stuff that I just didn't know that people, I felt like people my age didn't know because I was the good Christian girl who didn't do any of that and, and had waited. And um, thankfully, my a good friend of mine in the youth group, she was very vocal in saying, when I, have, when I get married, I'm going to have the best sex ever and it's going to be so good. And I think that was really helpful in that, because like, I also know like women my age who that's not their reality, right? Even though they did all of the things that they were promised that would lead to good sex, it ultimately, those feelings of shame weren't able to be separated. And so um, somehow I ended up in a, in a weird middle uh, ground. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's my story. Yeah. yeah, I experienced purity culture, not as just kind of the ethic that you should wait until marriage to have sex, but it's also a lot of ideas around like, civilizational decline, you know, like sexual immorality is, is gonna oh. like, you know, that's the reason why our country is going down the tubes. Um, and that's a lot of pressure to put on teenage bodies and sexualities. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it's also connected to, to gender roles and all, all sorts of things. So it's more than just like, you know, the kind of a traditional thing of wait until you're married to have sex. But uh, one story for me is, so I, I went to an evangelical college um, and my junior year, I, I was dating somebody, dating a man, um, not cool. Um, and so this was very kind of under the radar. Um, and um, in the course of this relationship, um, he sexually assaulted me. Mm. Um, and just the, the isolation and the purity culture like kept me from feeling like I, I could seek help. Um, and so it kept me in this bubble um, because first of all, I was having sex, which is wrong. And also there's like the sexuality thing. Um, so a couple of different things kind of conspiring to just keep me locked in this kind of um, private space with this trauma that I, I had no ability mm -hmm. to process. Um, and, you know, really, it really took me into like some dark places and stuff um, because that purity culture prized like, um, you know, purity and sacrifice over mercy and loving people just where, wherever their situation is. Mm. Um, and so that kind of in, in that one instance, um, just um, for me kind of speaks to how this winds up hurting real people um, in, in ways that maybe are unintended, maybe are intended, uh, but it, yeah, because of, because of this purity impulse, um, I was not protected or, or able to seek help. Yeah. Mm. I think it's just like, it's, so upsetting because I don't think I've met, I feel like I've, like two, I don't know the statistics, but like two out of three like other queer men or like people that I meet have like been sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And like that was like, like I was like 18 and it was just something that like I could never talk about. And as soon as it like had happened, like I kept that with me for like three years before I said anything else. Like after that, like sex was like not something that was like that it should have been, it was like a battleground, you know, that, that, and then I feel like purity culture kind of led me to like, like I think that I could had to deal with it like all by myself because I was like more afraid of letting my parents know that I had not only like premarital sex, but sex with a man, like, you know, it's, it was so crazy. And that's, and what sucked was like, when I did tell my parents, it like the first thing that I did see on my, their face was like disgust because mm -hmm. of like the 
the, you know, like the, I don't even know the words, but yeah. Uh, yeah, instead of like what I was expecting to like get. And I feel like things like that take like years and years and years and years to like work through, whereas like, I don't know, it's just, it's just terrible. And I, I know that like as I say this, like it's happening to so many other like, not even just like queer men and women, but like just everyone. Yeah. And unfortunate that church should be where you can share and be met with mercy and compassion and support and how that's so often not the case. Karen, can you read the last part of that question? Yeah, again? it was really good the second half. Yeah, I'm glad. How have you thought about sexuality in a way that finds a path between anything goes versus any sexual activity outside of marriage renders you dirty and impure forever? Um, I think, and this is where I went back to Brett's metaphor language, because a lot of the metaphors that I heard around sexuality were like um, the rose that gets trampled, um, or it's like the white wedding gown, you know, that gets like stained with a scarlet letter. And I guess I want to take a moment to just name that I think these burdens like are unequally distributed to people raised as women. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to name that as I was using the bridal dress metaphor. Um, but um, this, the heart, right, that like you lose a piece of your heart each time, you know, that you're with somebody. Um, and so those metaphors are like all going in, in this kind of one direction. So I've started trying to think about other metaphors for, sexu uh, for sexuality. Um, and the first one that I came up with was the parable of the talents. Um, so Jesus, like, um, tells the story about, you know, one servant, or he gives them all, like, this gift, which is, I think, what our, what our sexualities are, is gifts from God. Um, and one servant just, like, buries it in the ground and, like, doesn't do anything with it. Um, and then the other, like, puts it to good use, right? And, like, um, investing is, is overly economical, but it's that idea of, like, um, using it for good um, and growing the gift. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's a metaphor that, that I've been thinking about. Um, also like hospitality. Um, and um, I, think, I think there can be real connections between like embodiment and, and mm -hmm. theology. I don't want to get like very graphic, but um, I think that like sex is a way to learn more about myself and about God. I think breaking down this like um, Holy Spirit versus like evil body, you know, dichotomy that we get presented with that like sex is sacred too um, and as part of life is is part of um, knowing God better um, and I've experienced that um, and also finally just as like metaphors for like creativity of what it means to be a human um, so this is very much in process for me um, but that's why I wanted yeah. to come back to this question Thank you. to get ideas from other people um, <laughs> because yeah I'm still working through it but I think maybe that metaphor level is a place that I have thought about mm -hmm. starting, trying something. Good. I like the word that you said, hospitality. So in processing out of purity culture, I read many books, and one of those was Shameless by uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, and in it she talks about having a sex ethic, and she talks about how the World Health Organization, you know, their sex ethic is made up of consent, 
enthusiastic consent and mutuality, right? The pleasure mm -hmm. of both. Um, and she says though, to have a Christian ethic, you have to have those, but add on concern. And she tie, what she means by concern is, you know, tying into that idea of loving God and loving others, being aware of the needs and the, the person that is, that sex is happening with, that it's not just um, a willing body, it's a whole person. And so I really appreciated um, that sort of metaphor of hospitality in sex. Yeah, that's good. We get to move on? Yeah. Um, all right, two weeks ago, we talked about how moral, personal, and communal boundaries are vitally important and yet can also become walls that dehumanize others. Share a brief story of what loving boundaries have looked like in your own life. Um, I was just like talking to Megan, and like I feel like I'm I've been pretty good, like in my life, about centering boundaries with like people that are like outside of my circle. I'm like, you can't talk to me like that. Like you, like you know, I am able to walk away from situations that like I know that I don't deserve to be in. But I've come to like realize since my time of like being here at the table, and especially with like my Wiley like. Uh, group. <laughs> but, um, Your meetup, shout out yeah. to the meetup. I have problems <laughs> setting boundaries with my family. Um, and um, <laughs> just like uh, recently, like, um, so my family is currently going through like a little World War III right now just because um, of some conflict between like my parents and my grandparents and like where um, I like stand um, in there. And for me, my father has always kind of been like this like body of like of like um, where I've faced a lot of like discussed psychology where I've faced a lot of like just like other mint from like the rest of my siblings because of like my queerness and all that um, and just like other stuff like physical abuse like it, the list like is long but um, in the last year since I started coming to the table there's been like a physical like distance like my whole family moved to California and it's just me and my sisters out here in Texas. And um, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And it's, it's so much easier to like love your family from like a boundary, but um, like a physical boundary. Mm -hmm. And that's been cool. But there, during like this hard time with my family, um, my father is like dealing with like a lot of like, like I've never seen my dad like this emotional, it, like, uh, from anger or like sadness and all of that, but my dad I haven't like one thing that has been kind of like scary to me and that I've been thinking about since uh, one of Brett's sermons in the series is that like I feel like shit like bad that I don't have um, like Like my father crying should like phase me, <laughs> you know my father crying should like make me feel something I should like care about it and when, I, I, I guess it's been like one of those boundaries that I put up just to protect myself is that I want to, I want to like separate my emotions from my family and, and I think like even more so, I wanna be like a nasty person about it, like on the inside really. Um, but, so I've been battling with that a lot since I've been coming over here and like trying to be like a better person and stuff is that like is me rejecting my father, the person that has hurt me throughout my whole life, like is that being like unchristian like? Like should I welcome my, like what was that thing that Bryce said? He said something about like loving your son or your father isn't always like, oh, 
like my dad bought me a new car. I love you. Like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not that. Sometimes yeah. it's like looking at someone who's like failed you consistently and being like, I forgive you. And I've been like, that's been like one of the biggest things that I've like, or the hardest things for me to like accept is that like how can I forgive my father? And especially when he's like, and I'm, I'm faced with a very real choice when he's like looking at me and like crying and like he, mm -hmm. he misses me, he's texting me, you know, this, this and that. But um, when Brett was talking about boundaries, I think one of the things that kind of like stuck with me is that like you can look at somebody and be mad at them and you can still wish them like all the best. And I think that's, and, and I don't think that I should feel bad that that's all that I can do right now. Yeah. And um, it's, a process. it's a process. And I think like maybe one day, maybe one day I can like open up my arms and like, ex you know, like let down that boundary. But right now I think it's okay that um, it's okay and for everybody to have these boundaries of people that like, you know, you once like loved mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank I think, you. Yeah. I think it adds on the complexity when that, the boundaries from learned experience. I know that like that you're talking very deep and this is not a very deep example, but this is Christian with farm eggs. Let me explain. Um, Christian and Dan has lots of chickens that produce lots of eggs, and they very graciously would bring us eggs when they would come to visit. Well, the first time, great. Second time, he boils some eggs, and he gets to work to eat his boiled egg, and it was rotten, and it, it was gross. Um, and so every time he would have another egg, he would be like, oh, oh, I think this one's rotten, and he would throw it away because he couldn't, like, it was this, like, thought of this is a rotten egg and that experience was so horrible it tainted every other egg and so the man won't accept any more farm eggs which are really good farm eggs um you know we have to get the plain white ones from costco um <laughs> anyway but i think that like when it's a learned experience i think that those the natural like putting up of walls like it's much harder to tear down and I don't know, for me, I had a family member who who, who created a little bit of a toxic, a lot of a toxic uh, environment, and, and I wanted to protect other family members from the situation, which caused lots of bitterness in me, and I kept praying, please help me forgive this person, because I needed to in order for our family to function, and... Um, I finally realized that I couldn't forgive. Like it was something that couldn't come from me. And so my prayer began to change, asking God to teach me how to love them. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know how it happened, but it, forgiveness eventually happened. And, and I, the relationship isn't perfect. It's still messy. Um, but I think that... I think I have to hold on to that and force myself to go to that place and be, or be willing to go eventually to that place because I believe in a God who's all about redemption, right? And that means that if he's about redemption, then, then people are redeemable, even the people who I have the hardest time wanting to allow them to be redeemed. Yeah. Thank you. I really hate to cut this short, but we are out of time. Um, 
please feel free to, to talk to these folks. I mean, clearly, so much good stuff here. And as I believe many of you would have reflections, thank you so much. You sharing just enriches our community. It broadens it. It broadens our perspectives. We get to hear other um, just experiences, and we're better for it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Can you guys give them a hand as they make their way back?